Welcome to the CT Startup Podcast, an inside perspective on the startup ecosystem in the Constitution State. We're your hosts, James McLaughlin, Michael Kaufman, Eric Francis, Dave Menard. Welcome, gentlemen. So uh, just first topic today, I think we could talk about numbers that just came out of the State Department of Labor. Uh, So Connecticut added 4,000 jobs in the most recent month, and that brings us up to a grand total of 78% of jobs recovered since the recession ended, and that compares to uh, nationally, more than 128% of the jobs lost have been recovered since the end of the recession. Uh, what do you think, uh, you know, Connecticut clearly is, is lagging here. Our, our, our current unemployment rate is 6.4% compared to the national unemployment rate of 5.5%. What effect do you think that has on uh, the entrepreneurial ecosystem in Connecticut? I personally think it's driving people towards entrepreneurship. You know, the fact that these, these you know, you see it from the young and old, uh, these jobs that were once kind of life-proof, you know, you start at that company, you die at that company, that doesn't exist mm. anymore. So I think people are trying to, you know, they realize the security isn't there and they're chasing after some of their dreams now. I agree. I mean, working with uh, and meeting a lot of students at UConn, I, I just see, in, in, I, you know, for, from their perspective, they're coming out into an economy where they don't see as many opportunities as they might have seen otherwise. And I see a lot of drive in them to try to come up with ideas and form their own companies and find their new way. And it's much, it's certainly much more acceptable now than it's ever been. Uh, and, and with all the entrepreneurships, uh, entrepreneurship companies that have had great financial success since you know, the last tech boom, Mm -hmm. um, it's changed the way people think. And so I do agree with Mike. I think that, uh, I think that this is an opportunity for people in Connecticut to try to find a new way. Uh, I think people lose their jobs and get laid off recessions and a certain portion of those don't return to traditional jobs. They go back to, uh, they decide to move forward with a new company, uh, and usually one of their own idea. And, and it encourages people of all ages to try something different. So uh, I'm certainly not happy about the report. I don't think anybody's <laughs> happy about the report. But I, I, I have hope that in the area that we talk about, um, maybe uh, maybe entrepreneurship is a way for the company, for the state to help climb out of its uh, deficit. Yeah. And it's so, you know, people talk about entrepreneurship is, is going out and starting their, comp, uh, in their own company and everything. And it's, it's one of those things where I have a like, I always kind of grew up thinking that I did not want that desk job. I did not want to be in a company for 20, 30 years unless it was my, the company that I started. Um, but it's it's one of those things where, you know, people that make money, right, without having to be at one job so they can support their family, they can support their livelihood by doing maybe, say, four or five little things, right? They Somebody would say, well, they're entrepreneurial, right? Because they're, they're <laughs> out there and they're not, and they're not kind of... Uh, um, dependent on somebody else to give them a task and then they, they they make money for completing that task, right? So it's like really interesting where I think there's a lot of people that are, are like, well, can I do like a couple little smaller things and it aggregates up to kind of what I was making? Um, and, and so I think that's that's a big piece of it too because I mean, I, I was just at, a, uh, what was it? Um, it was like a made in Connecticut. It was like a little kind of thing mm-hmm. that this weekend, right? And uh, all the little the vendors there, you know, I was talking to a couple of them. Oh, you know, you know, are you looking to scale this? Like, how long have you been doing it? Well, two people I ran into is a mother and a daughter, and they make these little bouquet, like baby bouquets or something like that, right? And uh, they, you know, wrap up diapers and all this stuff, make it into like little flower bouquets. And um, and I was like, oh, how long have you been doing this? They're like, well, we've been doing it for six, for six years. It's just been like something we started as a hobby. And then we started our Etsy shop. And they were actually one of the first people on Etsy. And uh, they're like, well, we want to do this like full time because we all, both have full time jobs. So so when it comes to like a jobs report, it's so it's like, again, I don't know all the numbers or anything, but it's like, the, is that full time jobs, part time jobs? And when it comes down to it, um, I think there's a lot of people who would rather do a lot of smaller things and kind of be at one job and, and do that one thing granted I and mean, you guys are lawyers so <laughs> i mean you, you guys you can't be doing like a lot of little small like, like law law firms or anything <laughs> like that but it's just something where i think that the idea of a career um or a job is changing um and people are becoming more entrepreneurial 
Well, that's absolutely true. I mean, there are. I mean, even in our profession, there, there's there's fewer law school graduates at the moment, and I mean that fluctuates from time to time. But mm-hmm. you know, going to college and then going to a grad school and absorbing all that debt is is not as appealing as it used to be, and yeah. it's not a guarantee of any success. Yeah. So it's 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 very difficult for people to decide. Why not try making a company first? Yeah, uh, it was actually kind of interesting this uh, this this weekend. There's a. Uh, a woman, I forgot who was, um, obviously not <laughs> really notable, but um, she uh, she was talking about, oh, my daughter just got a uh, a scholarship to go to the the school, and she's getting forty thousand dollars a year. And like my eyes like lit up. So it was like forty thousand dollars a year. I went to Central, and that was like my whole career. <laughs> like that was like my whole four years. <laughs> you know. So it's like it's like oh my god, like really. And and I know I know a couple of people who are in law school or whatever, and they're going to be coming out with serious serious amounts of debt. So. I think uh, I think that that also all plays into getting a job and and kind of being you know um, going down that path. So I got to admit that the image of the diaper bouquet is still in my head. I, I haven't trouble getting it. I, I did a Google search while we were doing this. I had to do some fact checking. <laughs> is that is that what we're sure it's called? It's a I'm not well, keep it's like, it's like bottom bo- blossoms or something like that's that. A, that's I mean, a risky click right there. Bottom <laughs> blossoms. Yeah, that, that definitely is a risky. <laughs> the but, Groves firewall has. Oh no, it didn't block. <laughs> it's yeah. just. <laughs> yeah, don't don't Google that. Um, um, no, but but there, it, it's just like it's, it's almost like the same thing as like uh, we were talking about. Um, what is it called? Uh, the fruit. Uh, edible arrangements. Yeah, ed- edible arrangements. It's like, it's like that same thing, but with, uh, with, with so diapers. Baby shower gifts. Well, right. but they're like, reusable diapers. They're, they're, no, they're reusable okay. no. diapers. They're like the oh, cloth ones. Ah. They're not the... They're, they're yeah. not the yeah, there's nothing good. Okay, new topic. I think yeah. there's no way this conversation is going to go this way. So good. on to another note. I, uh, <laughs> I went to the Apple store the other day. Um, as a lot of you know... Uh, my startup right now is in the wearable tech community and the and, and revolves around you know a variety of different wearable technologies so naturally we had to get our hands on an apple watch and listen i'm gung-ho about all this stuff first off i'm an apple fanboy but i i haven't been too excited about this thing i wanted deep down inside me i wanted to hate the apple watch i don't know why i truly don't know why i just wanted to hate it and i love everything apple does um, but you know, this is the first big, big launch, new project yep. since uh, Steve Jobs passed. Um, so there was a lot of skepticism. You know, the, the the battery life is poor. It's kind of a, it's a stepping stone. It's not the big picture. This is kind of the first iteration. And you know, I think a lot of what they're trying to do is figure out how people are actually going to use this thing. How is it going to play into everyone's daily lives? So let me just kind of set the scene. I show up to the Apple Store with my developer the day it opens up. Uh, I have some friends that work there. They they get me a space there. They pull out uh, a slew of different watches from the low end to the higher end. I don't think they had a $17,000 one in, in there. Um, put it on my wrist. Immediately fell in love. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. It feels so good on the wrist. Uh, it does haptic feedback. So instead of vibrating, it actually taps you when something's happening. And that's how kind of the demo starts off. So you put it on your wrist and immediately you just feel this bump bump and you're like, your eyes just light up. You like know? something actually like pokes you? Yeah. So it's like, it, it, well, it's, it's, it's kind of like a, it's haptic feedback. It just feels like someone do a Google search on the definition of that, but it actually feels like something is poking you. Uh, so versus a vibration. Um, oh my God, I'm hooked. So we ordered two of them. Uh, we're going to start messing around with some development ideas with that and incorporating, you know, the app, uh, but get it in mid June. And I'm actually excited to get so, it. So you dropped money on this. I dropped money on this <laughs> and, uh, well, you know, I dropped money. And you didn't feel bad about it. I did not feel bad. I was, I was, you know, under the mindset that I'm going to dread pulling out my credit card right now. Um, but it was the polar opposite. I went with the lower end, you know, right now they have a, you didn't go with the gold. 17.5 thousand i don't know maybe i could put it into the pitch deck yeah um but basically they have three models they have the lower end which is kind of like a, a sports version it's made out of aluminum it has kind of a rubberized band that's waterproof then they have a stainless steel which is you know a couple hundred dollars more and you get like a, a higher end rubberized or steel band and then there's the 17.5 thousand dollar watch which is made out of gold um and now there's actually some third-party companies that are decking out that $17,500 watch with diamonds and everything like that. So I think the most expensive Apple watch you can get your hands on right now 
breaches the six-figure mark. I think we're looking at about $130,000. Oh, so for the average person, right? Oh, Just I mean, listen, <laughs> I could probably slip that one into the pitch yeah. deck, too. Um, I, I got to tell you. That, that wouldn't be. <laughs> so so I, I've been a fan of and have been burned by wearable technology, mm-hmm. right? So so I, was, I bought the original Jawbone up, and, and so... I know, Mike, your software works with all these uh, different movement trackers and such. And that lasted about, I don't know, two or three weeks. That's uh, actually impressive for it, the first it, one. It did. And it busted. And I had to send it back yep. and then get another one. And it, my wife and I both got them. And then, you know, after like three times doing this, we just said, screw it. We're not going to do it. So then Jawbone came out with, with uh, was it the Up24? Was that yeah, it? Yeah, that's actually what I have on the wrist right now. Which that included Bluetooth technology, which was a lot better. And that lasted about three or four months before it busted and broke. And I had the same problem with Jawbone all over again. But I'm not that bright. So, I, so, so now they just came out yesterday with the, uh, with the Up 3 and the Up 4. Uh, the difference between, between the two is that now they have uh, heart, tr- heart rate trackers in them and everything. And they look really nice. And mobile payments. Don't forget and, about that. And the Up 4 yeah. includes a near-field communications or NFC. So you can make mobile payments using American Express. Only American Express. Only American Express. <laughs> really? and, and immediately... You know, and it's just the techie in, you know, if you're interested in this stuff, my eye, my same thing happened. Like I saw up there, it's like, ooh, a new up. Like, oh, I can waste another, you know, uh-huh. 300 some odd dollars on getting two ups for my wife and I while they, while they break down. And yet I'm still tempted. Like I, I, I keep thinking this time they're not going to screw me. <laughs> so they took their time, this one, they, they, you know, so, so it's been a race right now. The, the, there's three main players that make up about 97% of the wearable uh, market in the U.S. It's, it's Fitbit, it's Jawbone, and it's the Nike Fuel Band. Well, Nike's falling off the wagon, uh, and now it's really between the two. Um, and it, it was a race to market, Fitbit won, and the big reason for that, uh, for this, these latest versions is that once again, Jawbone had problems, <laughs> lots of problems, waterproofing everything across the board. So, you know, they took their time. So hoping that maybe this one will last maybe five months, maybe six months, if you're real lucky, Dave. So, uh, well, you've convinced me I'm buying it. <laughs> sold, <laughs> sold. I wouldn't lie to you four times in a row. <laughs> <laughs> Make me buy it once and it breaks shame on me. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care. Take my money. <laughs> Well, I, I think uh, I think we'll all be fascinated to hear more about the Apple Watch when you get it and see how you like it. We'll see. We'll see. So far, so good. I, I don't even have it on my wrist yet. I'm guessing the people who uh, who listen to us are probably a lot like us, and you know, just love hearing about the technology and how it works and what's particularly interesting and what isn't. Yeah. Well, now Android Wear just kind of will finish up. Android Wear is now doing an iOS update, so now they're trying to get into the same ballpark and 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 drag some of the people that were only going to use the Apple Watch into the, the Android world now. So I will have to say is that when it comes to wearables and, you know, I, I like it because of the, the biometric feedback that it poten- mm-hmm. could potentially give. And one thing, I don't wear jewelry. I've never been that jewelry person. Um, you know, in the sixth grade, you get you get that you get the uh, the necklace from the girlfriend or something like Puka that. Puka show. Yeah, exactly. But uh, <laughs> you never. I did, like. I'm not that type of person. So so that's the one thing when it comes to wearables. Like, why if I wouldn't wear a normal watch? Why would I wear an Apple Watch? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the that's the concern I have. But at the same time, wearables and clothing is not that far away. I mean, I mean, it's here in some in some regards, but it's not that far away. So. When I can have socks that that can track my my you know what my walking or or shoes or whatever, and I don't have to put an accessory on, that's where it really appeals to a person like me because again, I don't need the jewelry. So it's a little bit more non-invasive and unobtrusive. Yeah, yeah. To like life. I don't even know it. Like it's just it's, part of the process. It's funny you say that. I, I there's a, a company that launched the other day that actually incorporates wearables right into uh, t-shirts, and here it is right here. Um, no idea how to say it. Ohm Signal Biometric Smartware actually goes into your clothes, uh, offers compression, moisture management, comfortable fit. I think they're talking about the shirt right now. Um, <laughs> and yeah, it actually tracks the fitness, your breathing, heart rate, calories burned, steps taken. So why don't you pick one of those up yeah. and let me know what you think. Do they have a uh, price on there? A hundred plus dollars for a black t-shirt that tracks all your health. Well, I'll let you know when I'm a, I'm a successful entrepreneur, so when there I can buy go. it. <laughs> entrepreneur. Yeah, entrepreneur. I, I was going to say that thing. See, that's the, problem, that's the only problem with incorporating clothing is like, you know, you don't want to pay $100 for a pair of socks. Uh, no. So no. It's, but Granted, to, I will have to say the socks that I'm wearing right now, legitimately I've had for five years. 
You should probably get new socks. Dude, dude they're, getting, they're, they're rocking out, man. They're, they're, they're holding up. And someone I'll... actually, we're going to start a <laughs> Kickstarter to buy Eric new socks. <laughs> I, I always think it's probably time to leave this enclosed room. Yeah, right. <laughs> Do these windows open? Um, yeah, no. So, so I guess let's actually jump into the interview. Yeah. How's that sound? That sounds great. So this is Dave Bernard. I had an interview with uh, Evan Dobos. And Evan is a, uh, he was starting off as a web developer, but he developed a company called CivicLift. Uh, and it's fascinating. I think you'll enjoy his journey. Here it is. Hi, this is Dave Menard. I'm here with Evan Dobos from CivicLift. Check, tech, take two. Dobus. <laughs> testing testing (laughs) (laughs) and so evan tell us a little bit about yourself and civic lift okay we are um a startup that began in torrington connecticut my web design agency up there was asked by the city of torrington to um well actually they didn't know what they were asking me for and they were openly (laughs) they openly admitted that to me they said we we received the grant and we want to make a website that you know gives cohesion to this community. There's a lot of things that are going on that you know even our our residents don't know about, and we want to you know have a marketing platform. So we did a lot of research and what other towns are doing, um, what other successful cities are doing, and we kind of came up with a punch list of what would be good features to have on a site like this, and we proposed that to City Hall. And they said, you know what, at this point, you know, looks like you know more about it than we do. And we trust you and (laughs) we've seen your work before. So go ahead, you know, you're a local guy. um, And so go ahead, run with it. And which was, you know, music to my ears for any sort of designer to hear that is is very nice. So what we came up with was, you know, five modules that that uh, the community could utilize. And we were very specific about wanting to make our platform just a platform and not try to come up with content we didn't want to mm-hmm. be so we didn't want to be journalists we didn't want it to be a news site we want it to be like a lifestyle platform so in order to do that we figured let's let the community submit their own content to it and let's just make the platform so good and relied upon by the community that there's plenty of reasons to sure if it's the main source of logic and news and events for the town then people would know not only to go there to check it, but also to use that platform to submit their events and their mm-hmm. content. Sweet. So, yeah, we deployed that um, after about six months of development. We deployed that, <clears throat> and the engagement was phenomenal. Um, to date, I think we've had about 22,000 unique users of the site, and there are 35,000 residents in Torrington. Fantastic. So, yeah, if you take out children, which kind of shouldn't be included in that <laughs> metric that's a big that's a big percentage of, no, of no, the absolutely. community that, that uses it <laughs> what so what are the five modules that you described okay the most popular one is an events calendar of course so small businesses really get to utilize that a lot um, they submit uh, in their own words with their own photos with their own descriptions um, what the event is going to be and we've had you know a, a, an art gallery talk about their openings and artist talks and we've had uh, a big theater in Torrington Warner Theater use it uh, to uh, put their shows up there so mm-hmm. a very wide range of, of uses so even even yard sales <laughs> so a very wide range of uses for it um, so that's the most popular part of the the, the uh, platform is the events calendar and we also have a we call it the city Explorer which is an interactive map slash business place of interest directory businesses and uh, submit their own locations and and their own words we also have you know listings for parks and things to do around town that way the third module is we call it community projects and this is a really interesting and um, exciting aspect of the platform for us because it's a crowdfunding platform specifically for the community so if somebody wants to see a dog park in their town and other people agree, they can actually fund it through this platform and the money goes 
exactly to that it's your local kickstarter equivalent exactly right Right. we looked at kickstarter and pretty much mimicked its functionality we Uh, won't tell them that uh, that'll be just between us (laughs) nobody else is going to hear this right no no okay (laughs) (laughs) but we funded uh, a few projects that way uh torrington used to do this great fireworks show and they stopped doing it a few years ago and everybody would still talk about it so we put that up there let's bring back the fireworks for the fourth of july in torrington and it raised a few thousand dollars. Oh, wow. Of course, yeah. they were raising money with through other avenues as well. They had pasta dinners and whatnot. But these pasta dinners were promoted through our events calendar. So you can see how altogether it, the platform really makes a, a useful tool. And, of course, we have a showcase of uh, photos and videos, uh, work from local artists, photos and videos from past events, and just uh, we call it the the showcase. It's a gallery of uh, media like that. And, and who takes those? Do you guys go out and do it, or do you, is it they're all user submitted? All the users submit it, especially right. when there's a uh, an event that, for instance, the a gallery in downtown Torrington, Five Points Gallery. They have these great openings. People are taking pictures, and they can upload it right to our site. And now from that point forward, Five Points Gallery will use those pictures while they're submitting events to the calendar. So that, so people can get a good idea of what was it like before. And so if they see that, they'll think, oh, well, that's what people are wearing. So now I kind of have an idea what to wear. You know, that's how many people showed up. So I kind of get a vibe of what the event would be like. And it's it's more convincing to go. That's really great. Yeah. And, and so what's the last module? We call that News and Interests. So it's a blog which we've identified numerous contributors for throughout the community. Uh, when I say numerous contributors, I'm... We've had um, the Economic Development Commissioner just write a few things on what's going on in town. We have a, a real estate agent who talks about who's moving into town, a commercial mm-hmm. agent, who, who's moving into town. And, you know, you, you drive by a storefront and you see they're fixing it up. You want to know, oh, who's going to be there? What's going to be there? <laughs> so he talks about that activity in the, in the town and just well-connected residents who have talked about art shows in town, you know, and music critics, theater you know, commentary about theater and even movie critics. And um, you take all these five modules together and as an outsider even to Torrington or to anywhere we deploy, you get a very vivid picture of what the community is like. And the best part is it's very organic because it's the community who submitted it themselves. Mm-hmm. There is no way for a journalist to have the voice of the community truly. You know, but if you have... Um, members of the actual community talking about their real experiences and and the local businesses submitting their actual events and uh, it's just much more um, gives much more cohesion to the to the vibe you know the, there's that term placemaking that's popping up everywhere now and it, it really is that it's a placemaking tool it's really so fascinating because you're you're getting so much activity from the users of your community and then it's valuable to the people who come through the community and want to know what's going on so you and I had talked earlier, and one of the things that, that I had noted was just that when I go on vacation to places, sometimes, you know, we'll go visit a town or something. Recently, somebody recommended I go to Savannah, Georgia, and I hear it's absolutely beautiful. But I always think, what am I going to do there? Am I just going to walk around and see trees? Am I, you know, I, maybe I want to go to a museum, but maybe a place doesn't have a museum or doesn't have any necessarily historical things other than neighborhoods and restaurants and, and such. And a website or an app like CivicLift really brings out that community for me as a visitor. It allows me to go to the places the locals go and really understand it a little bit more. And so that's really fascinating. Also, <clears throat> before you did this, you were, you were doing web design yes. uh, for, for a number of years. You have your own web design company in Torrington. What made you decide to get beyond that? Well, that's a great question because it wasn't that long ago when I was thinking about how we've done so many websites at our little agency here for a whole wide range of projects and, and budget types, you know. Mm-hmm. And we see that a lot of ambitious entrepreneurs come in and some have great plans and they're very well organized. Some don't have the realistic expectations, I'll mm-hmm. put it that way. <laughs> and um, we, we've done a lot of projects that just did not get well utilized. And every project we've done, we've put our heart and soul into, you know. But it's it's sad to see something you put your heart and soul into and it just kind of dies on the vine. Um, maybe the entrepreneur behind it, you know, found another opportunity or went elsewhere. or sure. just, It just died for having unrealistic expectations. Um, when we did the, the – when we got approached to do the Torrington site, 
uh, it's happening here.com is what it's called by the way. And seeing that engagement from the community, it's like, wow, we built something that's being really well utilized and wow, it's helping small businesses around us. And there are neighbors in this case. And we did this campaign for small business Saturday. This is my favorite success story from it's happening here.com. We did a campaign for small business Saturday and I, I reached out via email to a bunch of the people who have utilized the site, mainly the businesses. And I said, what are you guys doing for Small Business Saturday? And they responded. They told me about the deals they're having. And I made a, um, I, I took the list and made a special blog post about what's going on for Small Business Saturday. And it included a map where people could click on each point and see what sale is happening where. And with that blog post included a downloadable PDF of the map and, and their mm -hmm. listings as well. Unfortunately, I wasn't there for Small Business Saturday because I was out of town that weekend. But that following Monday, I got a bunch of emails from uh, merchants in downtown saying, Evan, there's, there's people walking around with your list and, and they're checking them off and they're going store to store and checking them off and doing holiday shopping here in town. And that was a total win for me. And that, I think that's what really set us off in, in terms of, you know, let's make this a direction we take. Let's launch it as a separate startup because it's, you know, it shouldn't be a web design agency. It should be its own thing. That's what we felt. Well, that's absolutely fantastic. I mean, not just a win for you, but for the communities. And it's interesting. It's always interesting to me, uh, working with entrepreneurs a lot, to see how entrepreneurial inspiration strikes. Mm. There are people who just have an idea out of the blue and hits them, this is what I want to do. And there are others who, who aggressively research, where's the next opportunity? Right. Where can, I, where can I take the skills that I have or learn new skills and, and apply it? Um, for you, it, it's really, it was, it was such a matter of uh, karma almost, right? You, you had your skills in web design, you had your team, you got invited to this thing for a city of Torrington, and all your frustrations sort of gelled into the idea to create something very unique. Right, yeah. When Torrington approached me, it was at that time where I was starting to be bothered by the fact that, you know, we're building things that aren't getting well utilized. So it really was the um, perfect timing. And, um, you know, halfway through building it, we thought, man, if we do this right, we could do it for another community and then another one. Your next step, as I understand it, and fill in if I'm missing anything. So you decided this really needed to be a company of its own. It, it was a good idea that could be applied in a number of places and eventually become interconnected. And so you try to find other resources here in the state of Connecticut. What happened then? <laughs> because I've already started my own company once before and because I was that learn it the hard way kind of guy. Uh, you know, eight years ago, I, I made, you know, it was not the most linear path. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I knew there was a lot that I didn't know. And so I'm looking, I was looking for uh, mentorship. I was looking for some type of uh, uh, training. And then I found um, Reset in Hartford, the Social Enterprise Trust, and they have an accelerator program. And I was like, perfect. I'm going to look into that. Um, I applied to it and got accepted, which was great. Got to meet once a week for 15 weeks, um, listen to other people's projects, talk about my own. There was a, a whole list of uh, mentors that we could book time with. And um, it's April 2015 now. And I still go there, you know, every time I, I come into Hartford because they still help me. You know, there's um, the, the network that they've introduced me to. And I got to say, the class time was perfect for someone who has not necessarily started their own business yet. Sure. And I say that as, since I have, a little of it was review for me. But mm -hmm. it's always good to go back and patch the cracks of the foundation, you know. So it felt like that. But the main benefit was taking advantage of their networks and talking to the instructors after hours, after sure. class time, and just blurt it all out. You know, mm -hmm. I, was, I was a completely open book, and I had, you know, really wide eyes, and I was ready to take as much information as I can get out of them. And they gave me a lot. And... Mm. So did they help you refine your product at all? I imagine you had to sort of discuss it in the, in the, uh, in the class and work on pitching. I know that uh, I saw you at the end of the uh, Accelerator program when Reset had what they call their flight night. Yes. Um, in which everybody from the Accelerator uh, got a chance to go up and present to the audience what their revised product is, however they decided to pivot over the course of the 15 weeks. And it was extremely well attended. It was at the Athenium here in Hartford. It was, yes, it was. It was a big event. And I think I can speak for nearly everybody in the cohort that uh, we all felt like pinballs <laughs> throughout the 15 <laughs> weeks because 
we were testing things and our assumptions were not right and you know we're going from direction to direction and for me it was the the vision of the company usually stayed the same but how i got to where i wanted it to be must have changed hands like once a week 15 times sure. through, throughout that course and um they they not only fostered that but they encouraged that you know hurry up and mess up you know learn from the mistakes and then adjust and what can we do to adjust and i left feeling like no matter what i do it's going to be fine if it doesn't work because this is part of the process and it really taught me that continuing despite the new information and using the new information is is how it's supposed to be and you can't assume that your assumptions from the beginning are going to be at all accurate and you put away your ego and you you know you let that take a back seat and you let data tell you and let your experiences tell you um, what, what the right call is and with a lot, enough testing like that then you know you feel much more confident about what you come out on top with well what a great lesson it's uh it's difficult so i mean i mostly work with entrepreneurs from from the legal side of things but i i spend a lot of time with them and, and, and mentor and so i see a lot of entrepreneurs um you know a lot of them have great ideas some of them they yeah. even have natural leadership skills or natural organization skills but nobody has the full package right away right and often they they really need help and sometimes they need to bring more people onto their team or so on but Areas that most people don't consider, which are vital to determine whether a product's useful or not, is marketing and customer testing and getting feedback. And really, when someone's got an idea and their mind is stuck on it, that's the last thing they're thinking about. And it's right. one of the first humps they need to get over. Right. And it's very revealing just how scared you probably are to go out and to verify certain things because you're just afraid to be wrong. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but it is the most important thing to get over. As I said, the ego mm. takes a back seat and it needs to. Let, like, let the data drive your decisions. It's wonderful to have a group you can share that with because they really, you know, people who can tell it to you honestly and straight and don't necessarily have a vested interest oh, in and, what you're doing. And, and oh my God, some some of the uh, people that were in the class, it was, I swear it was like therapy to them. Um, you know, myself included, it felt really good to talk about it and to talk about a week's <laughs> worth of frustrations and then to have everybody chip in with their advice. And I mean, some people got emotional in class. And a lot of people pay a lot of money for that sort of thing. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> so, so you get out of reset. You've got, you've got initial product, which is actually ahead of where most people are at this point, I would imagine, right? Because it's actually been in the field. It's tested. You've got great user feedback. And then you've gone, then you've, you decide to seek out more resources. You get your 15 weeks. Um, and now you know more people in the community. You've got some new ideas where you want to take it. What happens then? Good question. Um, our direction ended up being um, we need to produce a piece of software instead of making websites over and over. We want to utilize a piece of software to kind of do that legwork for us. Sure. Kind of like how Facebook, when you make an account there, it's not like anybody at Facebook is, okay, you got to make this person's profile now. <laughs> It, they had built a system that builds the profiles on their behalf. We're in the middle of basically writing the requirements that we have and th making all the designs um, and screens that we that we will need to, uh, the users to see and submitting that to software development companies to get a price pricing back for them mm -hmm. on, how, on how to develop it. And uh, there's been a lot of, again, we feel like a pinball. <laughs> there's been a lot of tumultuous news com coming out of that effort as well. Going back to the foundations of what we, you know, learned uh, through the reset experiences, you know, thinking about the MVP, the minimal viable product, you know, how small can you make it yet have it be something that generates money? Mm -hmm. And is the building that first is the lowest risk approach you can take sure. because it's the least money you could spend yet it's 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 validated that it's a money-making endeavor it's a very popular approach at accelerators and incubators across the country right now yeah and i could absolutely see why because when we when we were writing the document to say what we want this platform to have uh, it was the kitchen sink version it was the the cadillac version it was everything we could possibly want in our platform and the pricing came back also as the Cadillac version of a price. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's just unachievable for us at this time. And so we, you know, we, we had to take a step back and um, figure out what the next step is. But we think we've got there. We, we think we reached that point where we figured out the next step. And it, there was a lot of uh, small voices that I was ignoring, you know, when I was putting this document together. And they all 
were resolved once we thought of this new plan. And um, it's much simpler and um, approachable for us and just more natural to how it should have been done in the beginning anyway. Great. You're, uh, you're a popular man in Spain these days. Tell us why. <laughs> That's a, it's still strange for me to hear. It was completely out of the blue opportunity. Um, we were approached by a group called City Mart. And what they are, I, I guess you would consider them headhunters on behalf of communities. So communities submit their, uh, I think they're much more prominent in Europe than they are here, mm-hmm. but communities and cities in Europe submit their issues to them. Like these are our open challenges and they help find service providers for it. So they actually reached out to us and I think they found us by, uh, you know, certain press we've gotten while, um, you know, th- through Reset and we actually won a, a grant and there was press about that. So they looked, they found our website and looked into us and they said, there's currently a project in Madrid, Spain, that your solution sounds like it'd be a good fit for. And the project was called Increasing Access to Information and Improving Quality of Life. It seemed pretty vague, <laughs> but it, you know, for me, I was able to say, yes, that, that, that could fit, that could fit. So I looked into it, and yeah, uh, by the end of uh, finding out what it was all about, I was like, I'm, I'm going to apply to this. And I did. I, I spent a lot of time, you know, crafting my answers. There was even a character limit, so you have to be very, <laughs> very. Uh, it was your college essay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and um, and selling yourself at the same time. It's always fun to try to sell yourself and supply information all in the same character limit. <laughs> um, so we did that, and we were notified we were finalists, and I was I was blown away. Um, they had. I think they said 72 submissions from, from around the world, most of them in Spain, but there was people from Canada, Japan, uh, Australia who were submitting solutions. The solutions were, some were related, some were very much not related. For instance, you know, I'm offering a software platform to improve quality of life in Madrid, but another uh, person who, who won the project was doing nano coatings. It was just an anti-graffiti effort. So you put this nano coating on a building and the graffiti wipes off. So that improves quality of life in that way, which is obviously much different. But him and I, we both ended up winning. We were one of nine winners out of the 72 who applied. And there was an accelerator course, so to speak, uh, within it. But there was most of it was uh, direct connections with Madrid City Council and other people that would probably usually have a closed door to us. We were given it felt like an all access pass for Madrid. And we got a lot done. It was a six-week program, so I actually spent six weeks over there. Wow. Yeah, which was a long time. Um, but it isolated me, and it got me to really focus. And most importantly, um, I'd say uh, I kept it to myself, but my goal was really to test Civic Lift in a community I knew nothing about. Because Torrington, of course, I'm there. I know everything about the town. I knew the business owners, and it worked. Mm-hmm. I can't assume it's going to sure. be that easy for any other uh, community. So yeah, I went there thinking this is a great chance for me to find out if this will work for another community. And it, it did. It, it worked. Um, we, we had a very successful launch and there was a lot of excitement about it. And um, the people we contacted to let them know, give them the heads up that it's going to be launched. Um, we did that so that they could go in and pre-populate the site. Yep. So that there's actually be content there when we launch, um, they've run they've run with it and they submit. There was a, a I think of, you know over 20 events submitted. There was uh, 40 or so businesses submitted. So it's just a, a district of Madrid. It's not the whole city, mm-hmm. but it's a district that they're trying to um, bring a lot of attention to. And so it worked, and we found local people to write blog posts, and they're doing that. We found local people who have been. Uh, taking photos and and so we submitted those on our site so so yeah it, it's a platform that's there now it's completely looks like something they built themselves and it's just through our tool and it's still ongoing it's still ongoing absolutely yeah and not only that but uh i believe you told me that the mayor of madrid was actually impressed with your project yes and yeah you, and you've been invited back twice since then yeah yeah one of the times i went back so <laughs> i spent another week there in between coming home and now we were invited to can uh, present at a urban innovation conference, which was a pretty big, pretty big deal in Madrid. They were having it in Madrid, but of course, people, um, especially elected officials, mayors, you know, municipal leaders from other cities okay. were coming to attend the event. 
and so they gave me two minutes to to talk about what I was up to, and it was probably the most uh, information-packed two minutes I've ever <laughs> presented. Um, I had a lot to say, but... Just for those entrepreneurs out there who always wonder why we need an elevator pitch, this is it. This is the... <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I, actually, somebody, I, I believe it was someone at Reset who told me the elevator pitch, the real purpose is to get them, not to inform them about what you do, but to get them to ask more questions about what you do. Because then you can take it out of the elevator. Nice. <laughs> and, then, and then you just keep going that way. So I thought of that actually when I was thinking of my presentation. And the networking event afterwards, there was a lot of questions I was answering. So Great. they were approaching me about it. It was very so, cool. So so you've got interest. Uh, when we talked earlier, you said that you know you because of that urban development conference that you had received interest from uh, a number of different cities and that you're currently communicating with them and looking to bring Civic Lift there. Right. Um, so, so actually, things are moving forward quite well. Not only are you continuing developing the product, but you're, you've, you've got contact for potential customers. Mm -hmm. uh, you've got a couple satisfied customers. Yes. Uh, that's yeah. fantastic. And I do want to highlight the fact that, uh, that Evan took six weeks to go to Europe to work on this. Uh, I know Evan has a wife and three children. So talk about the dedication of an entrepreneur. Not uh, an easy thing to do to, to get up and leave your family for over a month. Is that hard for you? Did, did, does your wife respect what you're doing? Yeah, it it was. We were both at the man. This sounds really worth it, and it's probably not an opportunity you should pass up. But wow, six weeks is a really long time, and um, you know, all the respect in the world to my wife who took three took care of three kids, one of them being a toddler, um, for six weeks straight without without me there. And it was during the winter where we, and this was a really bad winter, and you know. Uh, it was very, it was very difficult. Um, about about two weeks in, I started realizing how how hard it is to have four weeks left. Mm. You know, I, the first two weeks were, you know, they're exciting, they're very busy, and I was like, okay, you know, time. I'm starting to miss home quite a bit now, and then and then you realize, but there's four weeks left, and so just yeah, it it took it took a long time. Of course, when I got home and a few weeks later, it felt like it went by like like nothing, but. But no, it was hard. She's very, my wife is very, very supportive of it. And, you know, even when I told her uh, I might be going back, she's like, well, that sounds like a great opportunity. Go do it and kill it. Make sure you make it worth the fact that you're leaving your wife and your kids for <laughs> another week. But um, how so, great is that, though? Really, really uh, supportive of her to say that. Absolutely. I know. I know. Um, I, I think even her friends have told her, I wouldn't have done that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm glad you had that opportunity. So when we're sort of talking about the challenges of being an entrepreneur, what was the, out of all this process so far, what's the biggest personal challenge you've faced? Yeah, the biggest personal challenge, it is a constant battle to ignore um, doubts that, uh, you know, being an entrepreneur at all means you give up so much stability and what what other people take for granted by just by having a paycheck you know and so here i am my web business is good but if uh you know if i start ignoring it it's going to die you know it's, it's sure it's not this massive company it's something that needs my hand holding at all times and then i th on top of that i throw oh i'm going to do another startup and my wife by the way is also an entrepreneur she owns her own hair salon Oh, fantastic! Yeah, so but between the two Difficult, of us, uh, difficult but fantastic. Yeah, it's the, between the two of us, we're running three businesses, and you know, we just bought a house, and we have three kids, and you know, the 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 only consistent thing we have in our lives are our bills. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, um, you, I, I constantly battle with, um, you know, where is my time most effective and efficient and there's two sides of that too. There's, um, it, do I take on this project or this one? Which one's going to, you know, pay out better? Which one's going to have more experiences and, and opportunities for me later? But there's also, should I be working on a project right now or should I be uh, home right now and, you know, being the, the good father and whatnot? So I think uh, entrepreneurship was a lot easier when it was just me as some bachelor kid. <laughs> But a uh, family man of five, it, it, it's way different. And but at the same time, it also really got me to to step up my game. I feel like I became a business owner when I was uh, when we found out my wife was pregnant. You know, then it's like okay, you know, the fun, the 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 
it's not yeah. going to be about fun anymore. It's going to be about supporting somebody's life now. So, um, up until then, it was it was uh, fun money and covering your expenses. Sure, not not anymore. But uh, yeah, you you have uh, many things that deserve your time, and uh, you need to constantly be making choices about what gets it. What a great lesson, though. I, I sometimes. Yeah, as I, as I said, with the entrepreneurs that I deal with, I mean, there are a lot of them that are in college or coming out of college or grad school and, and are single or dating. And, and so you're right. Their life is structured differently and it's easier. But it, it's a good reminder, I think, for everyone that, that entrepreneurs aren't just 20 years old and aren't just, you know, uh, programmers who develop Google. Uh, entrepreneurs, especially in Connecticut, uh, but all over, are people of all different ages and different living situations yeah. and facing different challenges and to build a community around entrepreneurs around here it's something that we need to support of entrepreneurs of all types not just the big level biopharma or the next big mobile app or or so on but but companies of all types and uh and it's a good reminder that people in all situations can take actions they you know they need a support environment around them absolutely but they can do it and uh, you're a great example of that. So, so, what, so that's a personal challenge that you faced. Um, what about an outside challenge? Sort of just creating a company, a technical challenge, or an outside challenge that was really, really caused the struggle. Finding a partner. Yeah. Finding a partner was was a big challenge. Um, I I made a lot of expensive mistakes actually in in the process of finding this partner. And the partner I mean is for the Civic Lift endeavor, not not for my web studio. Mm-hmm. But uh, the reason why I had to find a partner is because we're not building websites anymore. We're building a piece of software that builds websites, sure. which, as I said earlier, is a much different endeavor. And, oh, my God, I, had, I, w- I approached it so uh, naively. <laughs> I, was, uh, I, I had no idea what I was getting, in, getting into. Um, and the reason why finding a partner was really difficult for me is because eight years as my, my own boss, so to speak, um, I was responsible for everything. I was uh, quality control. I, and of course, in the, at the end of the day, things were as I saw fit. That's how we delivered them to our customers, as I saw fit. Le- taking on a, a partner, a technical, he's going to be a technical co-founder, is um, absolutely letting go of one of the most important parts of my business and letting him make those choices about it because he knows better and he absolutely does. Sure. Um, so... But giving up that control and uh, trusting somebody, that, is, that was new to me. And, you know, when, when I first thought of uh, getting it, I was like, yeah, you just find somebody else to build it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's not all they're doing. They're also taking decisions away from you and they're taking control from you. And um, you have to be okay with that. And the end product is going to be the end product and your customer is going to be delivered something and your name is going to be on it, but somebody else had a lot to do with it and you better trust that other person. I tell people all the time that it's about fit, right? Yeah. It, it's, it's about finding, you know, it, and not just work partners, but, but you know, almost everything from, you know, whether it's, whether it's your person who cuts your hair or, or uh, whatever other service provider you use or yeah. partners in a place or employees and so on. It's all about people who you think can not only take on responsibility, but share your goals and you can trust them to share your goals right? and, and carry those goals forward. Um, and, uh, you know, making decisions in which you can trust yourself. <laughs> right. In, in bringing these people. That's a, it, it's a tough lesson to learn. Sure is. Sure is. So what about being in Connecticut? Um, it, you know, so Connecticut, uh, we're you know desperately trying to build a co- cohesive entrepreneur community, and there's been so much more activities in the past four or five years than I've ever seen here. Yeah, and I think it's a great thing, but it, it's not without its challenges. So maybe you could tell us sort of the best and the worst things about being in Connecticut and being an entrepreneur. Okay, um, the best thing is if you remember what I told you earlier, um, I discovered that I needed help, and I found it right away with with uh with reset for instance in my example um that exposed me to a whole other uh a whole other trend you know that's happening in in new haven and uh the entrepreneurial uh movements that are you know taking place right here in hartford and there's just so much more support for it so um that was 
the fact that Connecticut is paying attention to this, and I happen to be looking for that type of help right as Connecticut is really ramping it up, sure. um, was was perfect for me. Um, I think the challenges of being in Connecticut is, um, it's still what I'm trying to do. It's very, uh, you know, it's very technical. It's very, in, you know, it's innovative. It's, mm-hmm. um, and I think that uh, Connecticut and its look on innovation is, you know, they value it, but it's not something that they're actively pursuing like um, Austin, Texas is, or, you know, uh, New York City or Boston is, and we happen to be in between the two. Mm-hmm. So um, th- there's that there's that challenge of uh, communicating something new at the same time as communicating that it's valuable. If it wasn't so new, it would be easier to to show and to and to have them understand sure so we have a very uh you know it strikes me that we have a fairly conservative investor community here in connecticut and so uh finding access to money be it debt or equity um uh or a combination of both for for new companies is a little bit harder here in connecticut than it is in some other places but in it but in selling new ideas that are off the beaten path becomes more difficult when you you know when you have a more limited community but I, i do hope and get the feeling that that's slowly changing um yeah. i've certainly seen more activity again f- more people opening their pockets to to different types of entrepreneurs yeah and i think um especially uh, since a lot of entrepreneurship is tech-based right right now um you know the technical entrepreneurs are so so nimble they're nimble little businesses that that can do a lot mm-hmm. um that's what the internet has provided to us right and um, uh, in my case, where I need to pitch to municipalities who are, are not known for being nimble, it, um, it, you know, there's that there's that unrelatability initially. But um, but I think I, I think Connecticut, much more than other states, is, is realizing that, no, there's this deserves a second look. And, you know, there, there's been a lot of money put into these kinds of efforts. And um, I know, uh, yeah, like the DECD put in a lot of money to uh, pl- place making efforts. And um, so they're uh, they're really realizing that, you know, this is a new way to uh, stimulate the economy by supporting local entrepreneurs. And that's just amazing. You know, that's they're (laughs) opening up uh, many opportunities for us because of that. That's really great. So, Evan, if you could communicate one thought to other entrepreneurs in Connecticut, something that you'd like to pass on to them from your own experiences, what do you think it is? Uh, get com- uh, my actually my grandpa used to say uh, to me um, hurry up and, and mess up except he didn't use the word mess up it was it was a, another <laughs> much more vulgar word this is a podcast yeah. we'll let you drop it if you if you want so what he told me was hurry up and fuck up and basically what that meant was you know make your mistakes early and you you hear other uh, advice like that make your mistakes early and you better uh, don't approach it as somebody who knows it all approach it as somebody who is willing to to learn about it um then there was there was definitely a little bit of arrogance to my early years of entrepreneurship and i suffered from it and um ask more questions than than you then listen more than you speak and and uh just be completely open to hearing other people's perspectives because um you god they always say you, you know you never know um you know who might lead to what and my signing up for you know reset as a as a accelerated course ended up being as i said the course is fine but the connections i got from that and showing up to to their events and actually talking to people you know face to face um you get to see their emotion behind things and you 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 make much more um, decisions that way than i think people realize so yeah just don't approach it as as somebody who's not willing to get uh, trampled all over but (laughs) but uh you know, it's all a learning experience. Well, I got to say that it's, you know, I've had the privilege of knowing you for a few years um, and the privilege of, of meeting, you know, many entrepreneurs in the state. And, uh, and I'm really amazed uh, to see how far, you know, you, you and others have developed and, uh, and, and to see you continue to pursue it. So, it, so it's an absolutely wonderful thing. Uh, and, and I really wish Civic Black Lift the very best. I really appreciate that. For those of you listening, uh, if you can buy our website, ctstartup.com, and we will put in links to uh, Civic Lift and Evan's website uh, in the show notes. We will also link to any other activities that we mentioned here, such as Reset. 
and hopefully uh, that helps provide you out there with some basis in your journey forwards. Thank you very much for coming, Evan. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. And we're back. So I don't know about you guys, but I really enjoyed uh, talking with Evan and, you know, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on it. But I, he covered a wide range of issues, not only becoming an entrepreneur and finding out, you know, where to go, but he talked a lot about his family, too. And I think that's a really important point. Um, we, we often think of the entrepreneur as an individual and we forget about their support network and what's going on behind the scenes. And it's something nobody wants to address. It's not something you usually address in American business, right? Mm -hmm. You don't. You, you might talk to someone and go, oh, hey, do you have kids or whatever? But, you know, you, you don't want to get into the personal issues. Yep. But yet, invariably, it's part of the process. It's something that's unavoidable. Uh, and Evan had to spend this significant time away from his family in order to do this. He has young children, um, and, you know, his wife was willing to take care of them. Uh, it's a very nice thing. It was sort of a heartwarming bit, and I really, uh, really impressed that, you know, that he could handle it, uh, his wife could handle it, their marriage could handle it, and uh, it was good for the kids. So, uh, you know, that was that was a nice sacrifice for them all to make to to make it work. Yeah, and it will, I was just going to say is that if uh, you want to test a marriage, and I'm not married at all, uh, start a company, right? <laughs> 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 um, but no, I think that's I think that is a, a, a big thing when it comes to uh, startups, and especially um, when taking on a, a grand challenge, right? So. So both Evan and his wife are entrepreneurs, you know, they both yep. have small businesses and, and, and a small business versus a scalable business is, is completely two different animals. And I think that's where Evan's going right now is that, you know, after doing the project for Torrington, he, he was like, wow, he's like, I couldn't, every town could use this, you know, I could scale it up. And now we know that towns outside the United States can use this. Um, so, so I think from going from uh, something where kind of a lifestyle business which is which is easy to understand. I mean, you're transactional kind of a thing. You have a product, you sell it. It's you're there every day. You're it's your grind. To a company that needs to scale, um, having that person with you on the on the up and down roller coaster of a, of that type of a, of a venture is definitely crucial. So um, just like I think all of us know, um, I know especially Mike and I, you know, talking about all of our ideas to people that are in our lives, um, they probably heard it enough, but uh, the continued support, it, it, it really does go a long way. It, 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 there's no question about it. Yeah, I mean, it, I couldn't agree more. You know, the support network, at least for me, has been unbelievable. You know, my parents have been kind of the biggest supporters. I remember when I went to my dad and I was raising money for my first venture, I said, hey, uh, hey Pops, I'm, I'm actually uh, starting a business. He goes, what? I'm like, yeah, like we're, we're raising money, we're gonna make this beverage. How? I'm like, oh, we'll figure it out. And he's like, I don't know, man. I don't know about this. And you know, once we started taking those steps and demonstrating, hey, listen, we're we're gonna figure it out. We're gonna we're gonna actually launch this thing, start selling it. Uh, you know, he just—it's not even a thing of like uh, pride, but he was just our biggest supporter. I remember at one point we needed some money, and he was talking about emptying the bank account uh, to keep us afloat. And it's just, you know, sure, that's kind of the. A huge step forward in terms of support network, but just you know, the, the entire family from the ground up uh, has just been there for you. And as an entrepreneur, uh, this is something we've talked about. You know, we have to be hyper optimistic to some degree. There's there's realism in there, but you have to be optimistic that you know this daunting task you're going to be able to make it happen. You know, and there's going to be a, a hell of a lot of. Uh, of punches that you're going to take in the face, but you have to be as, as gung ho as you can. And any negativity in your life, you can't really surround yourself with it. So, you know, having a support network that's that's proactive and there for you, and you know, when you're when you're going through a rough spot, they're picking you up. Uh, it's it's absolutely tremendous, you know. And, and Evan's wife, uh, you know, supporting him on his trips over over the Atlantic, you know, for significantly long periods of time. You know, that's what he needs. If she was saying, you know what, actually, no, uh, I need you here. That could kill the dream right there. Absolutely. Yeah. Another <laughs> thing that kind of uh, got me, and I think that um, a lot of lifestyle businesses can kind of take note from this, is that the idea for Civic Lift did not come out of him, you know, staying up at night thinking about this problem and, and, and trying to create a solution for it. It was... He was providing a service to a client. I mean, he was getting paid for that service. Mm -hmm. And then an aha moment went off, like, right? The light bulb went off where he was like, huh, 
I think they're because really what he did for Torrington isn't necessarily exactly what Civic Lift is. I mean, it's it's sure. a little a little bit different. I mean, it kind of hits the same pain points, I guess you could say, same value props. Um, but he was able to say, "Wow, I think there's another opportunity here." And so, you know, I think I mean the majority of entrepreneurs in, in the in the world really are small business owners, right? They're lifestyle business owners, mm-hmm. um, and some of them some of them love it. Some of them love go, like that daily grind. I mean, a lot of pizza, uh, you know, restaurant owners are like this. Restaurant owners in general are like this. They're, they're that's their their thing. That's they want to be there. Um, but I think there is a. Uh, a big lesson to be learned to say, hey, listen, maybe sometimes look at the service that you're providing and see how can can you scale that? Can you provide it differently? Um, is there any other value props that you can bring to the table that will help your business go in a different direction? Um, so I think that's that's a that's a crucial piece of it where he it kind of fell into his lap, but at the same time he still needed to think outside the box about it. Absolutely, one of the things that I that I also liked it's sort of an obvious point of entrepreneur development, but. Some, you know, when you have an idea and you, and you take it and you're going to create a business, sometimes, sometimes people stick too strongly to their original ideas. Yeah. And, and it's tough because, you know, to use the, the entrepreneur buzzword pivot, you know, it's, it's what you have to do. You constantly have to be reevaluating your pro- product. And not, it's not necessarily your idea. Your idea starts it, but it's what the market wants. Yep. And trying to figure out what people are willing to pay for. And, and then pivoting so your business such that you're meeting what the demand is. And, uh, you know, when Evan was in the uh, Reset Accelerator program, he noted how he was pivoting constantly. He was he was constantly had to reevaluate his ideas. And because this was his second entrepreneurship venture, mm-hmm. he was able to accept it a lot more. It wasn't he wasn't quite as set on it has to be this way, my way or no way. And so I. You know, it's really good to to hear that, and and it's important for everybody to acknowledge. You're starting a business; you need to be willing to adapt to what it is that the market's demanding. And he was proven it. I mean, it, you know, he took his idea. He got invited to go to Madrid. He was in Spain. He it yeah. put the product into effect there. He's now talking to people in Europe as well as towns in the U.S. Um, and just a just a fantastic result for him mm-hmm. and not an easy area to sell in either I mean, no, no 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 you're talking to, about municipal governments now I, from the way he explains it you don't need a municipal government to run the product it could be run yeah. by like a local lions club or something it just needs to be supported yep. in an area it's but, like their main partner is definitely the municipality it's yeah like that's their main kind of and, and and you know municipal time decision making timelines take forever the you know the budget making process it takes a long time I mean you're your sales cycle could be over a year away. Oh, easily. And so, uh, you know, it's it's a tough area, and uh, Evans Evans doing well in it. So that's a that's a good sign. And yeah. in a particularly tough market in a place like Connecticut, where you know there is no county little, level government, so you have 169 towns, 169 different <laughs> little fiefdoms, uh, with with really nothing between that and the state level. Uh, which means you have to have a lot more resources to cover what is, you know, geographically a very small state. Mm-hmm. And it, and it's just even at the small town level. I mean, obviously you're dealing with municipalities, so there's that politics that you have to kind of understand. Um, and I mean, with with some projects that I've done, it's if you know the right people, you can get it. You can get kind of support for it quickly. Um, but if you don't, it takes a long time. And it's one of those things where, again everybody's uh payment method it might be different the way it gets paid for what budget it comes out of so um yeah i mean he, he does have a difficult kind of uh uh road ahead in the sense of um payment if he's going after municipalities but i think he he has it figured out where he doesn't need that so. I, I think it goes back to the the whole pivoting thing not so much pivoting here i think it's about not planting your feet and staying on your tippy toes because you constantly have to adapt you know he's going to find out uh, what tactics work best and what don't, and over time kind of finesse that strategy. And, uh, you know, more than confident that he's going to get it down and create something that he's really able to to build upon. Which, uh, you know, which brings you to another point that we mentioned last week, which was, uh, you know, most people aren't going to get financed. It's interesting yeah. how you develop a company to get a finance. And uh, for, we talked about uh, Happy Life, which we see, which did a Kickstarter campaign in addition to a lot of individual self-sales. They, mm-hmm. you know, roasted coffee and got out there. And now we're talking about a software company, which Evan wrote a lot of the initial code himself in-house using his web, web design company. Mm-hmm. Um, and then 
he's you know he's met with lots of other developers about about having software developed in exchange for equity. He's got he's won a lot of awards mm -hmm. for Civic Lift, and he's used the award money to move forward. And you know, and then he's you know he's I, I, I would imagine he's probably interested in you know getting a full development suite out by getting some sort of individual financing, but. He, you know, he's what he's done is he he didn't say he didn't come out and say okay I have an idea now I need money yeah he had an idea and he spent two years building the hell out of it and now he's got sales he's got uh, he's he's got proof you know real life proof examples he, it's in use not only in the U S but overseas so it's, it you know it shows more diversity in the environments it can be used. Um, you know, he's in a much better position now. Yeah. He's got something to show people if he does want to go after money. Yeah. I mean, he can validate the data, you know, cause I can, uh, I've been in that situation where you just try to pitch an idea and it's very difficult. And the looks you get from an investor, it's like, okay, you want my money, but you haven't proven anything. You don't Nobody's even know. using your product. No one's <laughs> used it. You don't even know. Hell, you don't even know if anyone wants it. Uh, so it's about taking that time, you know, launching a, you know, a minimum viable product proving that not only is this something people want, but they are going to use and it is scalable. Um, and yeah, just like Evan didn't get that data, uh, validate the purpose, validate the cause, and uh, then then go to the well and, and, mm -hmm. and raise the dollars. Well, that's great. Did anybody else have uh, anything to add or get out to the audience before we wrap this one up? No, I think just to point out a great idea, because not only is it, you know, Evan an entrepreneur himself, but his business is re reinforcing other entrepreneurs as well. I mean, I think, you know, part of the, the goal of Civic Lift is to engage people to uh, utilize local local businesses, uh, which means lo utilizing local entrepreneurs as well. So it's, it's, it's good for him uh, individually, but also uh, for the entrepreneurial eco uh, community in general. No, it, it, it definitely is. And I think one of the reasons why it is is because it, it gets more people involved in the civic, it, it, the civic engagement, right? You know, um, so civic engagement has tended to go down, you know, yeah, in, in recent absolutely. years. And, and a lot of younger people don't actually go out and are involved in, in committees or, or groups or, or whatever. So it, it is one of those things where um, it's an online platform where people can use it. You know, it's it's it, it's a lot easier to do that. Um, and another thing that... Um, I have to say is that, and I think this is going to be a recurring theme uh, throughout uh, all the podcasts and everything, is that Evan was also in an accelerator program that Vishal and Oni were in and that I was in, and yet he got, he got something different out of it, just like Vishal got something out of it and I got something out of it. So it's like there's a lot of programs out there, a lot of services, a lot of, um, you know, kind of resources that can, can be... From the outside look generic or kind of you know cookie cutter but the, at the end of the day it all depends on how that entrepreneurial takes it and puts it into their like what they're doing so it's not it's not necessarily a thing where um you know every program is going to do the exact same thing for each you know entrepreneur um so i think that 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 is something that's going to always come back but um yeah yeah so evan evan is definitely rocking it so great well thanks everybody and listeners we'll talk to you next week You've just listened to the CT Startup Podcast. You can find us on iTunes or check out our webpage at ctstartup.com where you can find all our social media links. And please, please leave us your feedback. Special thanks to our production team, Kate Rupart, Dylan Gilliatt, and Evan Dobis, as well as our equipment and marketing sponsor, Mirtha Kalina, LLP.